When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sorry, Will, this is the best race of all time. I and know. you can't remember the top Be- three. Because <laughs> Emma's just top... Emma's just banging on about the 2011 Canadian GP. And that's all I can think about. <laughs> oh, God. It's lights out and away we go! Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. Today with me we have got Will. How are you, sir? Hello, hello. I'm very glad to be back. Looking forward to today's podcast. And we have Emma. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. How are you, Ollie? Oh, I wasn't ready for that. People don't normally ask me how I am. Well, since since you've asked... No, I'm joking. I'm fine. (laughs) Just before we started recording, we had a, a dropout. Callum is not with us today. It turns out Wi-Fi signals still cause problems in 2021. And Matt is getting a dog. So he is not with us either. So it's the, th- it's, it's the three of us. What we're going to talk about today, we're going to cover some of the uh, news. It's been, been an interesting week of news, to be honest with you. There's been some uh, rumours. Um, funnily enough about Hamilton. You know, I think, I think people, people are quite interested in that. So we'll cover some of that. And some of the stuff that's actually happening, not about Hamilton. And then we're going to talk about the best F1 race of all time. Why did you go so sexual for the end of that? Because <laughs> it's all time. No, this is the greatest F1 race in the world. Emma, do you want to start us off with some news this week? Yeah. Lewis Hamilton still hasn't signed his contract for this year. And we're all getting, I know, Will, I know, we're just, we're all getting really fed up with this now. To the point where um, Ralph Schumacher has actually called the whole situation embarrassing. Um, which I, I do I do agree with. It's just, he's, he's making himself look like a huge diva and the fans are just getting so fed up with it now. I think diva is the key word there. And diva just, Lewis Hamilton and diva, those, those are two words that you hear together all the time. All the time. Will's just shaking his head like, please, I didn't come on this podcast (laughs) for this reason. Diva's a good word, but I think of a different word beginning with D to describe this. (laughs) Disastrous. Dull. Oh, I can't describe how much millions I want them to pay me. Oh, just sign the paper, man. Come on, you know you want to. 
Anyway, so apparently yeah. it's not about the money, but do you know what? Oh yeah, right. Of course. In the same way that F1 drivers all live in Monaco for the sun and not because it's a tax haven. <laughs> uh, well, you, you, I think you're a person. I've got my that... cynical hat on today. <laughs> I don't disagree that it's mildly entertaining. Like that would be remiss of me to say, oh, how can you possibly find this interesting? Because it, it, you know, it is fundamentally interesting. But I think. After so many years of complete domination in the sport, and, 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 and you know, fair enough, he's an um, incredible driver, as I think 90% of our um, team agree, um, I, I just know, is anybody that fussed about this? If he stays in the sport, which is what most of us are expecting him to do, and I think would be the logical step, then, okay, great, he's going to earn a lot of money, but that's not, I don't, there's no skin off my back how much he earns, and I don't think it really should be skin off the back of any, any other supporters in the community. No one really minds how much the rich make they just mind that they're not making it and so they feel like they're allowed to have a grudge which i think is i don't know just how can you enjoy life like that you know he's going to make a lot of money either be happy for him and move on or just don't listen to it which is personally what i choose to do because you know i wish someone would pay me 40 million quid a year (laughs) Uh, not for rents like that will (laughs) Um, i I forgot i wasn't writing a letter to the daily mail And and then yeah, to conclude on this topic, there was then a, the whole thing about who's written into the contract that can't be his teammate and, and all this. And it's it's speculation, it's guessing games, but it, it it does keep us talking. I think the Formula One community is trying their very best to try and sort of guess exactly why there's such a big delay. Um, it's probably the most simple thing in the world. It is probably just the finer details of thing are just getting thrashed out by the lawyers and that's why it's just taking a little bit longer. But people are starting to think, well, is there maybe something in this contract that's, you know, that's that's causing such a delay, like a teammate clause, which I just think is ridiculous. Yeah. So let's move on by the, this time next week we're really going to have exactly the same conversation again or <laughs> or it, we will have concluded it what else is in the news emma we have a possibility of nico hulkenberg returning to formula one as a reserve driver for um the newly rebranded aston martin team which i find super super exciting because he really deserves to be back in the sport in any sort of capacity um, preferably with a full-time drive. However, they've decided that he was great stepping in for Perez and Stroll last year when they had COVID. Um, he's got a really strong and um, relationship with the team. So it's it's only natural for them to want to ask him back to be the testing reserve driver. I didn't know they hadn't hadn't got a reserve driver. Right, cool, just last thinking about... Last year they didn't actually have, they didn't appoint a reserve driver oh. last year. Which is why they they ended up asking Hulkenberg to come back because he was available. But this year they have actually appointed him as the Eastern Reserve driver. And let's be honest, this is great for social media and PR. Return of the Hulk. I think um, I think one of our posts on Facebook was the Hulk three dot zero. So as soon as Stroll gets COVID again, then we'll see the Hulk back. <laughs> and the thing is, he's going to be in green. The Hulk in green. Oh yeah, that means yeah. the is fast. Yeah, I, do you know what? I hadn't, I hadn't like, put two and two together there. It's uh, a little project for later. Good. Okay, the Hulk is back. That's good. There was other news about some other reserve drivers this week, wasn't there? 
Yes, um, Gunther Steiner has stated that he would love um, Grosjean or Magnussen to step back into a reserve driver role if they were available. They have not appointed a reserve driver as of yet, but we know that Pietro Fittipaldi stepped in when Grosjean had his accident in Bahrain last year and he um, drove for two races for Haas. But this year they still haven't appointed a reserve driver. And uh, Gunther has actually said that he would he would consider it. And Grosjean has even stated that he would be available if has needed him. I think that's so lovely because Grosjean didn't, as we all know, have the best ride with Haas. You know, they went through the whole um, sort of rich energy debacle, which didn't do the team any any good from a PR standpoint. Uh, the car was consistently slow. They had engine issues for the majority of his tenure and in terms of having a stellar career with a single team, you wouldn't, you know, that's not, you wouldn't think of Grosjean as the driver who's had it, but evidently he enjoyed himself enough and rather sweetly proves that he's there for the enjoyment and the entertainment of the sport rather than just the pure money because he wants, you know, because he's happy to come back and fill in. I mean, that's the sort of um, community spirit I think we need more of in, in the sport, if I'm being honest. I thought um I, I, I thought when Gunter did this, I thought it was um it was almost gonna be a, a a back step from Voldemort. It was right, let let's say that we're gonna have them back again now, so that when we have to sack him, everyone already knows. And also Grosjean, he's just signed up for IndyCar. Grosjean has said that he is not going to do the ovals um, because of his family and he doesn't want to terrify the life out of them again after his big crash. Which I, I thought I thought that was quite nice actually, that he was so considerate. I suppose he's probably worried because isn't there isn't there a relatively high crash rate on, on the ovals? I thought the rate of yeah. because they're all bunched up so so closely for such a long stretch of track you know, because it takes a, a few laps for them to string the field out. because um, there aren't any, you know, immediate corners. Because they're just driving in the, in a loop. Um yeah. Even what IndyCar classes as a street circuit is just an oval with a couple of chicanes thrown in. <laughs> <laughs> just like, that's not a street circuit. What, what's to be that? fair, they do go fast. So obviously, you know, when you crash an IndyCar, you, you really crash. Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to show an IndyCar official like the Monaco circuit. They might they might throw up or be really ill for a long time. But they wouldn't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> What the goddamn hell am I looking at? This is just turns and turns and local people and death. Ah! That, wow, Matt's going to kill me for that. That was dreadful. Please. Uh, sorry, I thought that was Matt. Uh, right, so um, we've spoken about Grosjean, IndyCar, um, reserve drivers. What's next, Emma? Well, we, we have a potential of a second race in the USA. Now, we understand that there was speculation last year um, that we could see a, a Grand Prix in Miami, um, a sort of street circuit around the Miami Dolphins stadium. But due to the pandemic, the, the discussions were shelved. But um, now that we're kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and the discussions have, have got to quite an advanced stage, despite the fact that there's quite a lot of resistance from residents and local councillors in Miami. Um, but I think um, Stefano Domenicali is quite keen to raise a bit more of a profile for Formula One in America rather than just have the sort of week, weekly build-up to, to the Austin Grand Prix um, and then that's it like for the whole year. He wants to um, raise the profile of Formula One in America and he feels that having a second race there 
um, could help that. That's uh, something. Sorry, Ollie, you go, you go. I think it's a good thing, it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing because it's a street circuit, and we don't need any more street circuits. We need to just sack them all off, apart from Azerbaijan. Um, but I think, you know, it, F1 has such a global audience, apart from America. It's, it's it, you know, they, they've always struggled to tap into the US. Um, and this whole show has been about Americans so far, and our American isn't here. This is just awful. That's um, right. That means that we're given unbiased opinion, so the listeners are getting more value for the for the low, low price of no pounds at all. Uh, I think, uh, just on that note, I, I, I actually agree. I think... I think the profile. I'm surprised that the profile of F1 hasn't taken off in America to a certain degree, um, and I reckon it's. I reckon it's mostly a marketing issue. The way I see it being played out, because I've. But when I'm when I first got into F1, I started t- trying to rewatch some of the great races, and of course the 2005 USGP where all the tires just do all of the things and it's terrible um that kind of seemed to be marketed and the way that the commentator was saying it was almost as if you either have nascar or you have this uh, you know there's there's kind of like either or in the same way that you're in america it seems to me either a, a baseball uh, or a basketball or a football fan you can't be one of the two and i think i think that's totally wrong i personally and this is gonna get a lot of people annoyed i really like formula e i find it super interesting in a very very nerdy way but also i much prefer watching f1 because it's more exciting there's far more drivers there's a lot more competition and there's better noises so i think they need to remind american viewers that you don't have to watch one or the other you can switch over there's no brand loyalty nobody's going to dock you points or take away your freedom if you watch one of the other sports it's good racing it's dangerous surely these are all great things yeah yeah for sure um standpoint (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's also the time difference i think they've struggled with that you know catering for a global audience but uh, i am all up for more races so if it, if it's miami or nothing I'll, I'll have miami please thank you um emma doesn't agree with me there no i just think that trying to i mean i think miami is close to becoming another monaco by looking with what they had planned for it, going around the Dolphin Stadium, you know, in this beautiful backdrop of sand and palm trees. And I just think they're trying to bring more glamour to the sport. And it's, I'm just thinking, we'd, we'd, all we care about is just seeing great racings. I'd be quite happy for them to go to to one of the older American tracks, you know, something like that. I'd, you know, if you, if you want to bring, bring Formula One to America, then go to an older American track, a historical American track, and, and run the cars around there. Uh, you'd, you'd still have the fans watch. We don't need a new circuit to, to sort of promote the sport over there. Mm. It's interesting. We'll see what happens. We will keep you updated. Um, talking of tracks, though, I was glad to see that they've they've scrapped the plans to build that one in Brazil. They, they've 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 just abandoned it now. Happy days. Oh, relief. I think is the number one word. I I don't know if it was because of the peer pressure from the entirety of the online F1 community saying, "What the hell are you doing? Chopping down more rainforest? Are you mad?" Um, but yeah, well, they did listen to us when it was about. You know the driver of car number nine. Yeah. Uh, you no. Know. <laughs> the lesson two is when it's about environmental issues, but when it comes to him, nobody's listening. The irony is incredible, isn't it? Because you would have thought the one thing that Formula One would have wanted to do, right, would have been to save face on a PR, PR sort of a PR nightmare. And it's a very simple way of doing that. You say no, you can't have this driver. <laughs> All right. The other and and the other side of it is why would. 
like they want to make as much money as possible by building a new track. They're gonna. I, I assume they were doing it for financial gain because why else would you, you know, invoke the wrath of a million Greta Thunbergs? And um, and 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 yet they backed down on that. I don't get it. We race in Saudi Arabia, a nation with terrible human rights abuses, and everybody's fully aware of this. Um, but and and so somehow I don't know. I, like they're not, they don't care about that. But then when it comes to the environment, that's all very Instagram friendly. So we better not, we better not do. Oh. Um, what else have we got, Emma? Um, well, we could see the possibility of Saturday sprint races in the near future. Stefano Domenicali has actually come come out and said that we will not be seeing reverse grid races. That's a definite no, which oh is, no. Yeah, you know, good news for all of us. That's because no one understood it, I think. Yeah. It was <laughs> Everyone was like... Not <laughs> no one understood the concept of reverse grids. I noticed that on Facebook. Everyone, just no one got how it would work. Um, so that's good. No. Sprint races. I, I, I've seen the reaction online and it's, it's not good. It's, everyone's just saying, I'll oh, leave it the way it is. I'm going to say, I would love a sprint race on a Saturday. Hell yeah. I would love a drag race on a Saturday. <laughs> I think that'd I would be banging. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love a drag race. I think let's do it all. Ste- I lo- what I love about Stefano Stef- Stefano Domenicale, um, or Stefano Stefano Domenicale, he was the what was he the former CEO of Lamborghini if I'm not um, if I'm not incorrect, right? So firstly, fantastic uh, CV item. You work for one of the nuttiest sports car manufacturers on the globe, and he's Italian. Like the flair, the passion, right? Why would you not say, oh, yeah, if this guy says let's have sprint races, let's have it? Because surely that can only be a laugh and just great fun, even if, you know, some people think it's not really what the sport's about. Well, the sport's about whatever you want to make it because, you know, people have just defined it in the past. Why can't you, you know, change it up now, be a bit different? In 2019, W Series had a reverse grid race. It was a non-championship race, so it was just literally about fun, and it was one of the best races of the season. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's always going to be. Reverse grids are always going to be good. And so are sprint races, because I think we forget F1 is a bit of an endurance race. You know, it's most races are about two hours. Um, and the younger generation, this is my opinion, and I've only got a short time to make it, but um, the younger viewers have a very short attention span um, these days. And, and I find myself with an even decreasing attention span. So sprint races are a good thing, you know, <laughs> Get on the track, race it out, done. I think it'd be brilliant as well, because imagine seeing the sprint race and then watching the normal GP. You can contrast the two. You can appreciate that, okay, hang on a minute, why is that alpha going so slow? And yet in the sprint, it was kind of just about keeping up with the, I don't know, the McLarens and the racing points. That gives you a a whole new understanding for the way in which drivers look after their tyres, are economical on the fuel mixes they use, try to reduce the amount of stops or maybe increase them. I, I can't understand why that wouldn't be a great idea. Isn't there some uh, potential calendar changes, Emma? Yes, there is. We have the possibility of two back-to-back races at Bahrain. Yes. Again. Yes. This is down to the fact that we could see restrictions, travel restrictions introduced between the UK and Portugal. So it would mean that Portimao might not actually happen. But there is another little twist to the story. You see, the Portimao circuit um, doesn't have a huge amount of money to be able to host a Grand Prix just now. And the fact that the fans might not be able to attend would mean that they would actually lose money. So they have approached their government to help fund a Grand Prix. 
So there is a strong possibility we could see uh, the start of the season as two back-to-back races at Bahrain. Which I think a few shows ago I said, There's never gonna, that's never going to happen again, didn't I? <laughs> Where I was talking about the Bahrain loop. Um, oh, the mighty have fallen. Yeah, indeed. I, I don't know. What would we prefer? Would we prefer a, a, a two in Bahrain like we had before? Because that was exciting and spicy, but it was only because George Russell was in the Mercedes, don't forget. Um, or would we rather Portugal? Because I enjoyed that race last year. I quite enjoyed Portugal, but um, but actually, I, th- I think, and uh, and if I'm being objective as well, I think having back to back will provide the viewer at any rate with a lot more value for money and also the teams because if you think about it logically, you've had one weekend as a team and a driver to get used to that track to do you know to do the to, to, to run the whole thing under racing conditions and and it obviously matters for points as well. Um, and so you've kind of got a little bit more, well, a lot more days to play with the second time around. Also, it means fans have got that chance to see, you know, to, to have that kind of anticipation. Are my favourite team going to be able to just gain a couple of tenths here? How can we possibly sort of improve? I think it's um, the best way I can kind of uh, uh, analyse it or, or give it an analogy would be to say, like when you're playing the first few levels of Mario Kart, it's all quite exciting the first time you play, um, you know, I don't know what would one uh cup uh, beach or whatever it's called um I, I i'm i'm down with the kids you know uh, and then the second time through it's more exciting because you've thought about it and as you come through those bends and you recognize where you're going you can sort of think about what you've done the first time and you can you, you get that kind of um addictive feeling of, of progressing and becoming better at something so that's what i hope you know a back-to-back might might bring us in the, in the calendar i definitely see two um two bahrain races because i think the first 10 laps at Portimao was was good, but no, it was the- it, sorry Emma, it was great. Well, <laughs> oh, the rest we of the race was just a massive letdown. It was snooze worthy. Yeah, that's yes, yeah, snooze first. <laughs> um, I love that expression because it, it epitomizes so much of that race. So I I'd, I would rather see two back to back races at Bahrain. Okay, I mean, I'm just—I've just actually gone on the F1 website, the official F1 website, Ooh, to look the at the calendar, web. and it's—it's it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. It says we're going to Bahrain to start. Yeah, we know that. Um, then it says round two, Italy, TBC. Uh, round three, TBC. They, 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 we've got no idea what's going on. Sorry, when you read out, it's a mess. That was hilarious. That was like seeing a teacher giving a terrible report to a child who's done nothing all year. That was brilliant. You should have a word with the F1 management. I reckon they could do with the talking to. Like, at least give us some damn hope, man. This, this is <laughs> this, this is a mess. It is, Will. Uh, so what we do know is we're going to Bahrain, basically. So. I'm just trying to think how this would shift everything around. So the, the second race was due to be at Imola, right? Yes. But that, that's now TBC. It doesn't say where it is. It just says TBC. Why don't, why don't they just push Imola into the, the second TBC and then have, like, the two Bahrain races? Because I, I honestly don't think we're going to be racing at Portimao. There's no chance, is there? There's two big reasons why we're not. One, COVID. Um, it would be pretty stupid to do it. Secondly, they can't afford it. So, come on, guys, fill in the TBCs. Let's get cracking with this season. And also, if we're talking about it logistically, Bahrain makes even more sense because, like we saw last year with COVID, Bahrain, and I'm fairly confident in this, seemed to have everything really tightly on lockdown. Like, they made it comfortable for the drivers. We didn't have a situation like we did in Hungary where they were told that they couldn't, you know, they they had to be um, in almost complete isolation. You know, Bahrain seemed to have everything kind of worked out sensibly. So that... 
I mean, also Bahrain, not a lovely country when it comes to human rights, but it seems like they've got it worked out. Here we go again. I think what we what what we, the conclusion we've come to is we're going to have two back to back races in Bahrain to start the season off. Um, I think the outer loop. Here's my prediction: it's going to be an absolute letdown if we go back to it because George Russell won't be in the Mercedes. Formula One wants to avoid triple headers going forward, which I completely understand because it's a lot for the teams, the drivers, and their families all back home. They're, they're away for so long and um, the whole logistical side of things however from a fan's point of view triple headers are quite exciting um but the, the plan is from i know that we've got a triple header towards the back end of the season because they've obviously fitted managed to fit 23 races in well tbc 23 races money money moment. money but next year, I think they're really trying to to stop that from happening, which kind of contradicts themselves to a point because they've said they'd love to add more races to the calendar, yet they don't want any more triple headers. So what are we going to do? Race 12 months of the year? Not have a break. <laughs> I mean, if we look back at, uh, and it's reminiscent of something I think that Top Gear said in the documentary about um, Jim Clark, he, he, in the 60s, was racing... I think it was about 12 months of the year. We have we have less than 30 races, 30 F1 races in the calendar. I think he did something like 60 races or 66 races. I can't remember the exact figure in the whole uh, over the course of a year. That included winning, I think, winning uh, two or three um, Grand Prix, doing uh, touring car stuff, rallying um, the British F2, the French F2 championships. Uh, I know things were different, and obviously he didn't have to deal with the media side of things and could just rock up at a track, get in a car, drive and go home. And so there was maybe a little bit less stress. But I I mean, I mean, come on, like they're, they're multimillionaires. So that means they've got access to fantastic facilities. They are working with teams of people who know exactly what they're doing and obviously the best in the game. So the idea that they're having a lot of stress in that in that department, I just I, I find that difficult to believe. Not impossible, just difficult. And so. I, I'm not buying it, frankly. I think this is a good number of races. It's great for the fans. And if anything, it's even better for F1 because they get a higher gross capital profit from it. Which is the whole idea why they've had to, they're, they're trying to hit those 23. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll just stay at the same circuit all year. You know, who, know, who knows what's going to happen? Um, yes, it's, it's the 2021 F1 Silverstone season. Yeah, that's what everyone didn't want. Last year, I'm going to be honest, Silverstone's my favourite race. I'm, I'm always there, but I didn't enjoy back-to-back at Silverstone. It ruined it. it. It took the magic away from Silverstone. Whilst we're talking Silverstone, Silverstone are really pushing the ticket sales at the moment, and, and it keeps coming up on my Facebook saying, buy tickets, buy tickets, buy tickets. Are they mad? I think they think everyone's going to be vaccinated by July. I mean, That's very optimistic. It's, I think it is down to the fact that they would love to have fans there because in the UK, they, they believe that, you know, the COVID vaccination, the majority of people will be vaccinated by, by that point. Um, however, you've got to remember there'll be people from overseas that want to come and watch the race and will want to buy tickets. But I, I reckon by that time, we'll still be seeing quarantines and all that sort of stuff if you're coming from elsewhere. So... I don't know. I think I think Silverstone are being extremely optimistic with um, ticket sales. That's one way to put it. And and one interesting thing because I, I was thinking, 
I didn't even bother booking last year because I always leave it to last minute anyway, so I didn't get tickets. But all the campsites and everything, they've just moved everyone's booking from last year to this year. So even if you want to go to Silverstone and you buy a ticket, you've got no, there's no car parking, there's no camping. It's, it's a logistical mess. And you're going to see social distancing and mask wearing for some time to come despite the vaccine anyway. So even if they are selling tickets... They've got the tickets from last year that are still going to be valid because they've moved it. So how many tickets are they realistically looking to sell so that they can maintain social distancing in the grandstands, Mm. but they've still got people from last year attending the race? So I I, I think it's a bit of a mess at the moment. I think it's interest on their bank balance. Oh, no, it's not a bad ploy. I mean, times are tough. Uh, by the way, Silverstone, if you are listening, uh, I'm not having a dig at all. I want to be there. So, um, you know, if you want to give me tickets, I'll come. That goes for me. I love <laughs> I've been a huge fan of the circuit. Uh, everyone would tell you it's from day one of F1 racing. <laughs> Loved it. Big up, big up Cops Corner, my boys. Yeah, they know, yeah. <laughs> Through um, maggots and Beckett's. Oh, I know them all. Um Cool. So, talking about great tracks leads us on to the topic of today. What a what a link that was! Wow. Yes. What a segue. So smooth. We're going to talk about our favourite races and the greatest races of all time in F1. But I'm going to go and um, top up the beer and take a quick break. See you on the other side. Welcome back. We are going to talk the greatest race of all time. Now, we did put this onto our um, Cut to the Race podcast group on Facebook. Um, we wanted to know what you thought. And it was uh, landslide victory. Um, Emma agrees with you. We're talking about... Canada 2011. I think Patel's got Wade. Yeah, He's got Wade. He turned in too late. He got the tyres. Button leads the Grand Prix. <laughs> Talk us through why this was what many people say, not me, but many people say was the greatest F1 race of all time. Well, when you look at the the championship on the run-up to Canada in 2011, Vettel had won five out of the six races so far that year. Um, the Hamilton had won in China and he was racing for McLaren. Vettel was in, was in the Red Bull. But um, Vettel started on pole. And the the whole race is remembered for being the longest F1 race ever. And it lasted four hours, four minutes and 39 seconds, purely because of the amount of safety cars that were brought out and the fact that it was a, a very wet race to the point that it was actually red flagged because of the torrential rain. But Jensen Button took one of his most famous victories um, on the final lap of the race after coming back from last position, which is an absolutely incredible feat. He fought back from six visits into the pits, a collision with Hamilton, running last with 30 laps to go. And Button actually hailed it uh, one of his greatest races um, in his book, which came out in 2019. Surely one of the finest races of his life and the best Grand Prix of his spectacular career. A well-earned drink of the winner's champagne. 
the opening 40 laps of the race took three hours and 20 minutes to complete. Um, it offered just 12 laps of green flag running because there was so many yellow flags, there was so many safety cars. There was torrential rain in the lead up to the start of the race, which meant that the, the race had to start behind the safety car. Um, and it also made two further appearances before the red flag came out uh, on lap 25, um, which sparked, it was a two hour delay under the red red flag. But um, when the race restarted, Button restarted in seventh um, and gained a place when the green light came out after the safety car came in. Um, Hamilton had spun Weber out. There is no overtaking until they get to the first safety car line, which is there. And that is why Alonso fancied a bit of a look. And Vettel's gone too deep into the corner. Alonso's right behind him still. So uh, they could overtake into that final corner. And Vettel knew that, but so did Alonso. Alonso goes to the right. Vettel has the turning point to the corner, though. And uh, behind him, we've got a McLaren right up alongside. And he touched. Weber is round. Mark Weber, and that's Lewis Hamilton. So Mark Webber keeps the engine running. He'll fall almost to the back of the field. But then Button and Hamilton actually clashed on lap seven after Schumacher forced Hamilton wide. And Hamilton then tucked into Button's slipstream. And when he tried to pass, Button sort of squeezed him and it caused a collision. Um, they both went into the wall. Well, I think in that case, there's no question as you see him. Oh, oh McLaren's touch! That is, uh, well, Lewis Hamilton obviously with suspension damage, puncture. I'd be surprised if he makes it round to back into the pit. It was deemed a racing incident. Um, Button hadn't actually realised that he had collided with Hamilton. He thought he actually had a puncture. And it kind of forced him into the pit lane. And he it dropped, it dropped him 30 seconds behind Vettel, who was out in the lead. And then he was able to reduce the gap after um, the safety card was called out so that Hamilton's car could be removed as well. So when the safety card came out, he, he reduced that gap. So then Button actually got a drive-through penalty, which th this race is just incredible with the, with the amount of obstacles that Button had thrown at him, but he still was able to come out on top. So he was caught speeding under yellow flags. He couldn't serve it under the safety car so the earliest opportunity he had to do it was when the race was resumed and it dropped him from 12th to 15th and the gap to Vettel was now 20 seconds so he was on inters he got back up to 8th but needed to get onto the wets as the as the um, the rain started coming down again so he pitted for a third time and he was 10th when the red flag was shown um, because of the rain and um, when the race restarted he went back um, into the pits from wets to go back onto enters just one lap after the race restarted. Button then got involved in another clash, this time with Alonso um, at the first chicane. They, they both tried to go through the first chicane kind of side by side. Um, it, it turned three, which you cannot do in Canada. You can't do it. Well, That's Jensen's second contact of the afternoon. So Alonso spun, he got beached. Button picked up a puncture and some front wing damage. So that was another pit stop. And again, that was deemed a racing incident. So he dropped to last place at this point. Button's now in last place. Because there was another safety car that came out, he then gained some of that 
time back again. So he kept dropping down and then coming back up again. <laughs> so when the rain the rain started to die off and it eventually stopped, the track kind of dried out. And the one thing I always admired about Button was that he's he's quite a master in changing conditions. So when it starts when tracks start to dry out or get wetter, he's actually very clever with his strategy. Um, he managed to pick up some positions. He was aided by some drivers pitting for inters, um, and within ten laps, um, he was then in tenth. And one of the, one of the first drivers to move to the slicks as well, and he because he found a drying line, so um, he was one of the first drivers to move from the inters onto the slicks. And he pitted. This was like a key thing. He pitted two laps earlier than Vettel to move onto the slick tires as well. He then passed. Heidfeld and Kobayashi and it meant that with 15 laps to go he sat in fourth position and the gap to Vettel had reduced from 47 seconds to 15 seconds so he was on the hunt for Vettel. Vettel responded um, at this point to Button's pace but then another safety car was called out um, due to Heidfeld crashing out and there was debris across the track. So Weber was just ahead uh, with seven laps to go at this point but Weber made a mistake, Button took advantage, and then he picked off Schumacher, who was in front of, of Weber. Oh, he's nearly lost it. Weber nearly loses it, and Button sails past him, somehow finding enough grip. So Mark Weber pushing his luck. Vettel leads Schumacher by 3.8 from now Jensen Button. Jensen feeling particularly punchy by the looks of it. As he, if he's within one second as he exits this corner across that line now, he gets the advantage of the rear wing and it will pop open when they go over this next line and surely he's got a great chance of coasting past what Schumacher's looking in his mirror. Button goes the long way round. Is he ahead of him? Yes, he is. Button up into second place. At five laps to go to catch to catch Vettel and Vettel then locked up at turn one on sort of like the the final lap and Button started to kind of plot his move um, on Vettel and what he was thinking at the time was he was planning to use DRS um, into the last chicane but he ended up not having to do that because as Vettel turned into turn six, his car sort of slithered to the outside of the corner and he lost the rear, which opened the door for Button with half a lap to go. And it was such an incredible feat. He went from last um, to winning the race within a very short space of time. And when you look back at the race stats, Vettel actually led 68 of 70 laps Um so apart from when Vettel pitted lap 20, I think it was Massa was leading the race and then Button led the last lap. So it was just absolutely incredible. Vettel came in second, um, but it just shows at that point for me, um, I, I wasn't much of a Vettel fan when he was racing in Red Bull, but it was a glimpse of sort of seeing him being put under extreme pressure and, and making a mistake which obviously we've seen plenty of times with him driving at Ferrari. But it was it was a moment for me where I thought, oh God, um, he's not perfect. So that's kind of like, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's probably the best race of all time, but I started watching Formula One in, in two, back end of 2006. And certainly for me, Canada 2011 is probably one of the best races in my era and certainly one of my favourite races. 
me watching Formula One. Thank you, Emma. I'm not going to do a full... Is, is someone hoovering? Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Oi! <laughs> Sorry, Come it's on. my little brother. Oh, it's your little brother? I thought you were shouting at your mum, and I was like, what are you doing? Well, yeah, that was a memorable race, Canada 2011. Uh, Emma, you, you summed it up brilliantly. I think... Um, you know, Hamilton and Button colliding. What a moment. That's an unforgettable moment. Um, certainly for me, it's Button only led half a lap, didn't he? And when Vettel went wide on that final lap, I mean, who could have written it? It's just one of those magical moments that it, when the stars align in F1. And, and it, it happens from time to time, but not very often. And so many stars aligned for Jensen Button that day. It was an incredible race. And it's one of the reasons why I believe Jensen has so much respect from all motorsport fans, because not many could have pulled that off. Yeah, I completely agree. It was like Jensen Button had a load of dodgeballs thrown at him and he was, he was avoiding them at every chance. Well, um, that was the race that you 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 guys said was your favourite. Um, so we, we, we wanted to do it some justice and really talk you through it, relive those moments. So... Uh, we did. Um, m- mine has, it's very close um, between Belgium in 2008, which just had the most incredible climax to a race I've ever seen in my life. Hamilton is right up behind Raikkonen and goes for it. Down the outside of the bus stop. Raikkonen's not giving anything away. They almost touch, they do touch. They're side by side. He'll have to have a go at him at last source. Okay, now Raikkonen's back in front and Hamilton's going to attack him. He goes on the inside. Raikkonen trying to play it cool. But Lewis Hamilton is back in the lead with two laps to go. But I've got to give it to Brazil in 2008. I don't have words for it. How that season built up all the way through it, all of the drama, and then you go into the Brazilian Grand Prix. And you've essentially got Massa and, and, and Hamilton fighting for the championship everything possible goes against Lewis Hamilton. Massa gives the drive of his lifetime, wins the race. We're expecting Massa any time now. He comes through to claim his sixth victory of the season. He has done everything he needed to do. And we wait now to find out who will be the world champion of 2008. Can Hamilton do anything? Can he run it up the inside of Vettel? Only a few corners to go now. And desperation starts to creep in for Lewis Hamilton. And again, Again, on the last lap, on the last corner, actually, Hamilton's luck changes. Raikkonen's third, and that's, is that Glock? Is that Glock going slowly? It is, that's it's Glock. Glock. Oh, my goodness me, Hamilton's back in position again. A million, a hundred thousand local hearts sink in the grandstands. It's handed the place back to Hamilton. He comes through, and if I'm absolutely right, I'm sure that he is going to claim fifth place, which is all he needs to do to become yes. the 2008 Formula One world champion, Lewis Hamilton. I think we will all remember those scenes of the Ferrari mechanic headbutting the wall. Um, you've got Massa's dad in celebrating, and then he realises that his son hasn't won the championship. Well, the, the Ferrari boys are celebrating, but they, they 
both they think both they're think wrong. They're wrong. Ferrari are wrong. They're absolutely no, wrong. wrong. Hamilton's guys. finished Glock. fifth. You will never see a more dramatic conclusion to any motor race, let alone a Grand Prix, than that. And the result of it all is that Lewis Hamilton is the world champion. Unbelievable. You've got Nicole Scherzinger. You've got Massa crying on the podium. I mean, oh my God. And I've just wanted to, to say this on the podcast for a while. Is that clock? Yes. My favourite thing ever in F1 was that moment. I can't tell you, that moment changed my entire life, and I will never forget it. Is that clock? Um, it was just an incredible end. And I think almost it was the way the season ended, Hamilton won the championship because of that. But Massa also won it in everyone's eyes. What I can only say is a very good job. Well done, son. Very, very proud of you. I'm so proud of you anyway. I would have been even more with the tendency, but anyway, thank you. Hats off to Felipe Massa. That is sporting dignity. He deserved it just as much as Hamilton did. He he deserved it. He almost won it as well, as far as I'm concerned. You know, he was on the top step and he delivered the greatest drive of all time. And actually, as a Hamilton fan, I wouldn't have been disappointed if Massa had won that championship because he, he earned it. So that, that is my favourite race of all time. I loved it. I thought it was so exciting. I'm not a huge Hamilton fan, but um, the, the tension, it, I don't think it really matters who was driving. Uh, it was just, it, it was really extreme. Um, for me, I, I felt so sad for Massa. I felt, I felt really gutted for him because... Um, he'd committed so many years of blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, you, you could. There's a there's a good meme that came out of it um, on uh, on Formula Dank, a very good uh, Reddit page that said something like uh, along the lines of, uh, "Scientists have often wondered how to put a, sh- a cork back in a champagne bottle." Uh, they went to the Massa family to ask for advice. Oh, God. It's a good oh, one. man. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> um, but, oh, Will. <laughs> uh, but I feel so sorry for him because if you look at what Massa, what happened to him later when he went to Williams and everything started to decline and then he moved into Formula E and, uh, you know, things didn't get much better... That was his moment. That was his one. That was his biggest chance, and he and it wasn't his fault. He didn't blow it. That's what's so kind of poetically unjustifiable about that. Uh, unjustifiable about that whole situation is he didn't blow his big chance. He really nailed it, like you say. He put on an incredible show, and yet it was just not quite right. And there was nothing that he could have done. Um, yeah, a, a brilliant, brilliant race. Very strong. Contender. And on matter, actually, taking myself back, that was the. The end of Massa as we knew it, um, because he was obviously he was a, he was a dominant force for a while with Ferrari. Then we had that ultimate climax, which we've just spoken about in Brazil, and it was the next year when he he had that horrific incident with the um, the, the spring off the other car, which ripped his helmet off and it put him in coma, didn't it? I've forgotten that. Yeah, that was that at Hungary. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. at Hungary, wasn't it? And it was the spring um, from the car in front. When you watch the footage back of that, it is so scary, so scary. That was one of the few instances that uh, that because I was I was about how old I was I would have been nine years old then. That's one of the few instances as a young child that F one made an impact in my life. I remember that being on the news in two thousand nine. That was one of the few bits of breaking news article about about sport. You know, which generally isn't really confined to the wider pages of news media. That that really was no one could quite believe. 
I went to school with a guy who was massively into F1. His family watched it for years, and I saw him the day after it had broken the news, and he just he he was he was like a waterfall. He wouldn't stop sort of being you know slightly teary and and full of the story and the emotion of it. And I, I couldn't understand it then, but. It's yeah, unbelievable. It, it actually it, it came up on on something the other day. I, I was scrolling through Facebook that crash, and um, God, it's imprinted in my mind the helicopter shot of him on the stretcher. But that was one of those crashes where he shouldn't have survived that. It was a bit of a Grosjean um, in Bahrain crash that. And when the spring hits him, he then his foot goes flat on the accelerator, right, and he, he's, he's obviously unconscious. But when he hits the barrier with his foot all the way down you can still hear the accelerator after the crash and, and the engine revving. And it's, oh. I, re- I remember watching that and I thought, oh dear, this, this ain't good. Um, and it's actually given me goosebumps talking about it. It was horrific. But um, yeah, the point there was that I don't think Massa ever came back from that crash. So, Will, you've had time to change <laughs> your mind. I'm going to wonder if you do or not. So for me, Austria 2020 was one of the most exciting races and and genuinely one of the best races. Um, I've tried to summarise it for you guys before and that's been cut. So our lovely listeners don't have to listen to that complete atrocity of verbal assault on their eardrums. Um, I'll sum it up very briefly. Um, Bottas first... Charles Leclerc second, Norris third. It wasn't without incident. We had Verstappen retiring early in the race due to a mechanical, uh, electrical issue, sorry. Magnussen went off as well, which wasn't really that interesting. Um, and this was another example of how Hamilton isn't so keen on a certain young Mr. Alexander Albon. Um, he, uh, he, he sort of... I think was yeah let's yeah let's call it how it is he was responsible for Albon spinning off into the gravel um, and as a result is given a five second penalty that pushes Norris to get his third place so super exciting for me because it's the first race that I'm watching um, the the final rejuvenation of McLaren as a team you know they've okay they've got a, they got you know Carlos got a podium um, the year before but it wasn't it didn't really feel like a proper kind of return to their winning ways. So seeing Norris get a third place and a third place on a flipping fast lap, his last ever, you know, last lap Lando. Last lap Lando. Raise was born. Scenario seven. I have no idea what scenario seven is, but I bet there's some lads who want, who want to know that, um, you know, so that they can, I don't know, get away from the Rosses or something. I don't know, something British. Anyway, my point is amazing, genuinely amazing driver. I know that I'm a big fan of his, but honestly, I think most people would agree it, it was a seriously impressive performance um, and a great performance from Charles Leclerc. Ferrari last year had a terrible car, as well we know, and to get a second place in a very competitive field. I mean, I know that Hamilton was obviously having issues and fighting um, Albon, but he was still being competitive. He was not He was not letting Leclerc off. Um, so, yeah, super exciting race for me. Uh, and also Austria. What a fantastic track. Seriously, that's one of my favourite tracks of all time. I think the just... The, the scenery that it's set in and the way that you've got that really nice steep gradient at the start of the race and then a lot, you know, the majority of it's all sort of downhill. There's big banked corners before the final straight. Yeah, it, it had it all for me. Um, but 2011 Canada has also now started to play on my mind. So this is, a, I'm in a world of decision-making nightmares. Take a deep breath, Will. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Was that better, Ollie? Can you actually use that? Yeah. How's your anxiety levels, man? Oh, mate, I... <laughs> I, I think for me, Austria sort of set the scene for 2020 because the race actually had 11 finishers. There was like nine DNFs in that race. You had a bit of a mixed up podium. You had a Mercedes, a Ferrari and a McLaren. 
all on the podium. And I think it just set the scene perfectly for what was an incredible season. Yeah, and, and also, as F1 fans, we felt so damn lucky to have that race, didn't we? Because I was one of the people who thought, right, there's no F1 this year. Uh, I, I couldn't see how they were going to make it happen. So we got F1. It was good. It was action-packed. It was everything that we wanted it to be. And, well, I've got to be honest, it, it was a cracking race. It, it was a really good race. It was I, brilliant. I Yeah, I, I just, I, I totally agree with Emma, actually. Um, we needed it. Um, we absolutely needed it. We're going to finish this show by just, just giving our listeners uh, a rundown of some great races that you need to watch. If you haven't seen these, these are the ones where you need to go online and watch them. So um, F1 did a, did a survey of the top 10 races of the decade. Um, so from 2010 until 2020. Uh, and this was, this was a fan vote. So um, these are what the people are saying were some of the best races. So, guys, I know you don't have this list in front of you, so, so let me know your thoughts on these. But um, just so you know, I've gone back <laughs> in preparation for this show and I actually watched every single one of these again. The missus wasn't happy. But this is what we do for the love of podcasting. Uh, in number 10, and again, this is a fan vote, so it's not our pick, it's... it's Yours. Um, Hungarian Grand Prix 2014. I was 14. I, I don't remember what I was doing generally in that year. Um, Emma? Someone fill me in. Most, most Hungarian Grand Prix don't really sit in my mind because they're not massively... This excited. one should really, really stay in your mind, Emma. Oh, did Danny Rick win? Yes, he did. <laughs> it was his second career That's win. Well, oh, he's not inviting you on a date, mate. That's it. <gasps> I'm married. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was a it was a wet start moving into a dry race. It went from huge crashes, um, and Daniel Ricciardo won his second career win. That's number ten. Now, number nine is the Bahrain Grand Prix in 2014, also known as the Jewel in the Desert. I think everyone's got to remember this one, right? Even I mean, I wasn't watching, but yeah, I've seen that. I've seen those highlights. That was insane. Um, uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite bits about that was some sort of slightly obscure post-race uh, interviews I found with Rosberg um, and then with Hamilton, and the the tension, the the tension between the two, the the utter rivalry is palatable. I mean, this almost hatred. I I mean, strong. It's a strong word, but almost hatred that each of them felt for each other. It was it was really really amazing. That was the that was the race where their friendship turned into a rivalry, um, and uh, that race. I mean, it basically there were two cars in it. Um, the rest were just sort of driving around like a bit of a granny um, compared to the Mercedes. They were just gone. But the racing between Hamilton and Rosberg was unforgettable, man. Mm. And it, you know. I wish we'd see more like that. It's it's so rare, but it was absolutely insane racing. Hamilton came up, came out on um, on top. <laughs> Just that, that, that in there. Um, he dominated most of the race after take, you know overtaking Rosberg at the first corner. Yeah. But after that race, I think that's when Hamilton really started to sort of like he reduced um, Rosberg's lead in the championship as well. And it it was a point where Rosberg thought, oh God. You know, I'm really going to have to up my game here because Hamilton's coming for me. But that race as well, Sergio Perez was on the podium for Force India. Was he? As well, yes. Well, yeah. well who'd have thought? 
I've got, I've got to be honest, I, I did not remember that. All I remember is the two Merc drivers getting out of the cars and doing this punching thing in, in each other. Number eight is the Australian Grand Prix in 2010. Um, this was Jensen Button's second win. Um, number seven is the German Grand Prix in 2018. Now, you may remember this for the reason of Vettel throwing away what was a guaranteed win in his home country by just sliding off the track and hitting the barriers. Can we please not talk about this for too long? It makes me... No, no, stop it. No hate allowed for the Seb Meister, please. You're talking to the wrong person if you don't... (laughs) That was that was that was a quality race. That was really good race. Um, what, what was it? it? It was the it was the rain that was coming towards the end of the race, wasn't it? Um, the rain. It was the rain that fell uh, from an easterly direction onto the track and resulted in the track becoming not dry. <laughs> yes, and Vettel couldn't hack it, um, uh, and resulted in Vettel being able to not drive. Yes. Oh Number six, I, I've, I've forgotten about until I read this, is the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in 2017. Now, this was the one where it was just chaos all the way through. And a couple of memorable bits here. This is the one where Vettel decided to sideswipe Hamilton for brake-checking him. Oh, um, yes, yes. Vettel then gets a, a, a... I can't remember if it was a stop-and-go stop and penalty or a drive-through, but he got a penalty. Then... Hamilton's, his, um, what do you call it? Uh, his, his, the, the thing that he fixes his, his helmet to. What do you call it, Emma? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure what you call it, but yeah, that I know what you mean, though. Yeah, and then that came loose, so he had to, he then had to pit, which essentially neutralised it. There was a red flag, um, safety cars. I mean, that was, yeah, Azerbaijan 20, 2017. That's when I fell in love with it. Daniel uh, Ricciardo won that race, and... Stroll was on the podium for Williams. Yeah, that was. It was a bit of a. It was a bit of a strange podium. Bottas was on the. Bottas was second. Yeah, that's when Bottas got him literally over the finish line, wasn't it? I remember yeah. that because in the podium footage, you can see like you can see Stroll looking slightly com- confused, like why am I here? I don't <laughs> feel like I should be here, but I'm going to pretend like I earned it, sort of like like he is with just being in F1 generally. Lucky podium. Yeah, that so that that's a quality that's a quality watch that one. Um, it's a quality watch. Quality watch. Uh, number five, European Grand Prix in twenty twelve, which was in Valencia. This was obviously the, the Spanish's favourite Grand Prix, um, mainly because Fernando Alonso won it, um, and I believe he started in eleventh, but he he called it his best victory. Um, so all the Spaniards uh, fans of that. Uh, Brazilian Grand Prix 2012. So this was Vettel spinning on lap one, if you remember, and coming all the way back to win the world title. This was an f- incredible race um, where he was at the back and he got back to... God, I can't remember what position it was, but he got back into um, P6 to win the world championship. This was also when Nico Hulkenberg was going to win this race. And he took Lewis Hamilton out of his final race at McLaren in the process. This was a race to watch. But for, 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 I think for our panel, it's a little too long ago, and um, you know we've only got short-term memory. So 
Uh, in third, we have the Brazilian Grand Prix in 2019. Now, this was chaos. Um, what I remember most from this was the two Ferraris taking each other out. And I'm, I will say Vettel taking Leclerc out. Um, uh, He's always the bad guy for you, isn't he? You can never let him go, Vettel. Yeah, vindictive mm. bunch, aren't you? Honestly. Pe- people never change. Never He's just a crazy chairman. Outside to have the fun and you want to make out the villain of him. It's very wrong. It's very wrong. We'll just we'll not pull on that thread, Will. Don't, you don't want to get into an argument about Vettel at this stage. Verstappen win. Who else was? Who else did we have there? So we had uh, Gasly was in second, and I think it was his first ever podium. Yes, yes. Paul Rosso at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Carlos Sainz was third in the McLaren. And then the Alfa Romeos were fourth and fifth. <laughs> Standard day for Alfa Romeo. <laughs> Raikkonen God. was fourth and Giovinazzi was fifth. Um, yeah, it was, I think, just towards the end of the race, it all just sort of exploded and it was a very jumbled up top five. In second, we have uh, the Canadian Grand Prix in 2011. We've, we've already done that one. So yeah. let's skip to what the fan favourite was in the last decade is the German Grand Prix. There's a theme here, isn't there? It's either Brazil or Germany. German Grand Prix in 2019. Now, this was the one which we spoke about to Ben Hunt from The Sun. This is the one where everyone was going off. The rain came down. Um, We had cars... Well, we had Lewis spinning. We had Valtteri spinning. We had the Ferraris off. God, it was a race. I think the reason why this has been voted um, is number one by the fans is because of how shocking the whole, like, situation was with Mercedes. Um, the weather was awful. Um, you know, Netflix were in the Mercedes garage. And that's <laughs> always a recipe like, for success, not. Yeah, it was just a bit of a... It was an extremely bad weekend for Mercedes. It was embarrassing. Um, and I think um, with Mercedes domination in this hybrid era, I think that's probably why it was voted the best, to be honest. So just on that note, Emma, um, it makes it makes perfect sense if you think about it logically. And one of the reasons why I actually think the Sikir Grand Prix from 2020 was so popular, um, we were all gutted to see Russell, you know, suffer at the hands of, well, I suppose, bad luck and um, bad team management. But uh, one of the reasons that GP was, I think, so entertaining for fans was Mercedes were screwing it all up for the first time in the whole season. I mean, granted, it wasn't the Lewis-Valtteri combo that we would expect. You know, we'd be really surprised to see them mess up. But this kind of picture-perfect symphony that we often see with uh, their pit crew um, and with their strategists, it all went completely out of the window. I mean, that was... It was almost... It was it was almost comical the kind of putting the wrong tyres on Valtteri's car and swapping over used ones in the same way that that pitch... That, Hilarious pit stop debacle by the Germ um, by the German team in in the in the, in the 2019 GP was I I I've seen that clip I uh, must be a hundred times and it never gets old. What for you guys makes a good race? So we know that weather p- creates unpredictability, right? But is that good? Is does that mean it's a good race if it's just chaos? If there's just cars crashing, is that good or is it great team strategy? Is it 
you know, for example, what some some of the best races for you know a, a driver they've just been dominant. They've just led the whole thing. That's a great race in their opinion. Um, what 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 makes a great race for you as fans? I think for me there has to be a really good balance of a lot of different things. So you have to throw in a little bit of little bit of weather. Um, and then you have to maybe have um, some sort of incidents taking place, a few crashes, a um, few really, really good overtakes. You know, the main reason that we watch Formula One is to see some great racing. So a great race has to have great racing. I find races extremely boring if a car has started from pole and has led every single lap of the race. There's just nothing going on out at front. You know, for me, that's not a great race. So I find that we have to find a good balance um, of, of weather, strategy, and racing to have a really good race. Yeah, I would, I would 100% agree. I think, um, I think something like Canada 2011, actually, I think that's pretty damn close to having all those elements. You've got, you've got torrential downpour, in the first half of the race, so so much so that the only dry bits of track are the ones that the cars are continuously going over. You've got a charge from the back of the field in the form of button. That, for me, is a, a massive key for a great race. I love to see a really world-class driver manage to pick their way through the field because that shows real, genuine talent. And for some of the kind of more doubtful fans, it, I think it sort of it proves them wrong. Um and you've got, I think, a really competitive, close field of cars. Something which I am critical of the currencies, uh, the, the, the current like last two or three years, is that the cars have been, you know, they've, the Mercedes has been so far in front. And one of the reasons that 2011 was so exciting was that they were all so, so close. You know, I, I, I don't think that there was a, a, a particular team who you would have said were you know, unbelievably slow and had no chance of catching up in the same way that the Williams and the Alphas of last year did. So yeah, that's, yeah, it's got, it has to be, it has to be rainy. There has to be some, I say three to four crashes minimum that, because that creates drama. Like, we love, <laughs> we all love a red flag. Uh, I refer you to the Italian Grand Prix of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing a world-class driver, even like Hamilton, pick their way through the field or finish on three wheels like he did um, in, in, in Silverstone, it's uh, yeah, it's all that drama and entertainment. And it doesn't really matter who wins because it's still exciting. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think all race fans sort of agree, well, most do, that we watch for the racing. We, If it's a deserved winner, we don't mind who it is. Um and as long as it's not Vettel. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think all of my favourite races, when I think about them, they've all had rain. Um, and they've all tested the driver's absolute limits. So you've put the greatest drivers in the most difficult situations and they've shown why they are F1 drivers. Um, I think in places, you know, we, we discredit Monaco a bit, but that's a very very tough place to drive around at that speed um it's just not exciting because th- there's no wheel-to-wheel action so i think yeah the circuit is a key we always had you know spa um silverstone um azerbaijan now uh, you know there, there are some great tracks that set up great races germany and brazil um and 
the one that we didn't mention on this show at all, which uh, Callum was going to if he could have been with us, was um, Brazil in 2016, which was when we had the Verstappen wet masterclass. Um, overtaking cars where he shouldn't have been overtaking cars he had that incredible spin where he saved it um you know and they analyzed how the way that he used the throttle and the brake saved that car and his his um it was not natural to a driver to let go of the brake when you're going towards a wall but the way that he did it just shows that his pure skill and understanding of racing um and Again, I think that was an incredible race, but it, it had rain and it showed why a driver was fantastic. Fair shout. Let us know what you think. What makes a great race? Um, on the Cut to the Race podcast group, get in there. Tell us what, uh, which ones you like. If you disagree, you agree. Any we missed? We, I know we've missed a lot. There have been some great racing. If there wasn't, we wouldn't watch the sport. So there's going to be hundreds of great races. Um, let us know which ones you thought. I'm waiting for the followers to go, well, what about this race? What about this race? Yeah. What about this race? We know that we've probably missed out quite a lot of really good races and really great races to watch. I mean, there are there are loads in the 90s as well. Um, but I think it's really important that since we've got quite a lot of new followers to, to Formula One that are part of our community that we talk about the races in, in the past 20 years, at least. There are so many great races before that as well. So I definitely recommend doing a bit of research and, and um, you know, going and having a look at some of the races in the 90s as well. What you will find, though, is that quite a lot, well, the majority of the races in the 90s, there weren't a lot of cars that actually finished races. It was the decade of unreliability and technical problems. <laughs> But there are some incredible races in the 90s as well. So I do recommend doing your research. Yes, well well said, Emma. You know, we've, we've, there's 70 years of F1. Um, there's a lot of races. We've just covered a very select few. But thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Um, we've got a guest next week, don't we, Emma? Do you want to... Sh- should, we, should we let them know who it is? Or should we leave it till next week? I don't know. What do you think? I can give you a clue. Okay, yeah, yeah, let's do that. The person, uh, guest, that is joining us on our panel next week on our podcast currently works in the Aston Martin Formula One team. So that's coming next week. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm like wishing my days away right now. Um, And then the following week, we've got a guest booked in as well. Should we give a little teaser for that one? That is exciting. That is very exciting. That's someone who has been in and around the world of F1 media coverage for a long time. And how can I put this? Has probably one of the better uh, working knowledges and sort of um, backdoor uh, kind of interests and and, and heads for rumour, um, uh, head, head for rumours even uh, of, of the F1 media circuit. Uh, yeah, that's going to be good. And they are a direct employee of Formula One. That's true. I'm gonna, we should be asking this person some very, very stiff questions, in my opinion. So, yes, we, we have got a few exciting, spicy shows um, coming. So if you didn't enjoy this one, don't worry. There's more coming. Um, but as we know, you did love it. So make sure you leave a nice five-star review. Um, it helps and it gets us up the rankings. Thank you very much for listening. Um, Emma, thank you for uh, being on the show. 
Thank you very much. And um, yes, if you haven't um, had a nosy around our website already, please visit formulanerds.com for breaking news, controversial opinions and a little space on your day. You've written a few good articles this week, Emma. I'll give you that one. Um, one of my favourites, yeah, Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, you've, you've written about Daniel Ricciardo. You've written about the fall of Ferrari. Yeah. You've covered some spicy news topics. Um, put this on your on, on your bookmarks. Um, our site has everything that you need right now. Um, Will, thank you very much, sir. I know that you've got um, a piece of work that's complete, but just we're just waiting for the moment yeah. to release it. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a great week. Um, really enjoyed the podcast today. I hope everyone listening has had uh, has a bit of a, has had a bit of a thought, um, uh, even if it, it disagreed with their fundamental belief. Um, yeah, it's there is a video in the works. Um, I'm really hoping, I'm really, really hoping we get to release it. It's very much dependent on a certain someone and a certain. Um, uh, certain situation uh, in the world of F1 sponsorship. Um, so if that news breaks, you guys will be the first to hear it. And I implore you to do as Emma says and keep an eye on our website because that is where we have a mountain of breaking news um, and really genuinely relevant stuff. Our team, including Richard, um, have been digging up some unbelievably good stuff in the last couple of weeks. I mean, it is mind-boggling, like the little nuggets of absolute gold that they managed to find. So well worth keeping your eyes out. Uh, and will i i do i do applaud you for putting in so many hours of work into a project that might never go live it's because the thought that counts <laughs> there's two ways this scenario is going to go and you've taken a guess of which way it's going and if it goes the wrong way about 20 hours of your work is down the drain yeah basically mate yeah um i'm not feeling great about that now so thanks for that but never mind <laughs> I wouldn't like to Maybe see you in a I'll... casino, mate. I know, it's dreadful. I'll be sweating buckets. Maybe it's worth releasing the video if it never happens anyway, just to see if people like the format. Maybe. We'll take that when it happens. But yes, thank you for listening. We will be back next week with someone who works for Aston Martin F1 team. Podcast Network.